excited to have Pastor Joel back here with us. If for you guys that don't know, Pastor Joel is the lead pastor at Trinity Church of Sunnyvale, Sunnyvale and he has been such a great friend and partner here with us at Current, even before our launch. So there's a long, long history there. Our launch team actually met at their Trinity Youth Room, and our headquarters is still housed at Trinity. You know, we're so grateful for Pastor Joel, his team, and his kingdom partnership. So let's give Pastor Joel a warm welcome. So we do this corny thing at Trinity Church where every once in a while I'll ask my church, I'll say, if we took all the churches in the Bay Area and add them out, um, how many churches does Jesus have? And then they very cornily say, one. Um, because though we meet at different locations, Jesus only has one church. One church. And uh, in that vein, I'd like to take just a moment here before we start and pray for our brothers and sisters in Maui as uh, they go through the tragedies of uh, recovering and dealing with the fire. So let's just take a moment and lift them up before the Lord. Lord, uh, we thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. And that when, when there's nothing that we can do, we can come to you who can do all. And so we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ in Maui, dear Lord. We thank you for those who have stories of just of it just barely missing them and how you've greatly provided, dear Father. We, we mourn with those, dear Father, who have been caught up and um, their home or their church uh, has been a victim of the fire, dear Lord. And of course, we mourn with those, dear Lord, who have lost loved ones, who are wrestling over, Lord, your plan and the death of someone that they cared about. And Father, we just pray that you minister to them. Uh, to those that have experienced your grace, dear Father, we pray that you give them great vision of how to extend the grace that they have received from you to others that are in so need. Help them mourn with others well and give freely in the name of Jesus. We pray, dear Father, that those who have, who have uh, suffered physical uh, of stuff kind of loss, dear God, um, May just you may give them the proper perspective of that the most valuable thing was protected. And that once again, in that grace, dear Father, they may look at, at others and say, how do I shine Jesus in the midst of so much suffering? And we pray, dear Father, for those um, who you say, you comfort those who mourn, that you may comfort those who have lost a loved one. And we thank you that we have a hope beyond the world that we do not... Um, Mourn, though it's truly something to mourn without hope because we know about the great banquet, dear Father. We know that this is actually the land of the dying. And then when this physical life is over, there is a land of the living to come. And I pray that you encourage them with that hope. May your church, both in Maui and, and um, around the world, dear Father, rise up in this moment. May we be may encouragement that, that those who do not know you in Maui, dear Father, may see Jesus in the midst of the pain. And we pray this not because we can make it so, dear Father, but because we know you want it so. You want the light in the darkness. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Guide us this day, dear Father, as we look at your word, that you may stir new things in us, that our faith may grow 
that our perspective may grow. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Well, um, I got the uh, privilege, I guess I'm the second in a series called uh, Recharge. And I can imagine uh, that there's probably not a person in here that would not be interested in recharging. Um, it's probably a universal truth, but I would say in the Bay Area, <laughs> it's probably up to a, at 1 to 10, up to 11 of the need to recharge. But my guess is, as you kind of think of recharging, your reaction may be initially a lot like my own, which is, <laughs> there's no time to rest. There's no time to recharge. That's a fantasy idea. That's a fantasy thought. Like uh, most people in the Bay Area, you probably feel pressed for time, that there's not enough time, or that you're constantly running out of time. My guess is most of you had that experience on the way to church this morning, especially if you had kids. It's a challenge in this world where there's just way too much to do. There's always more meetings, more work, more to read, more, more ideas to follow up on, more chores to do, more people to communicate with. And though technology, this is very interesting, technology has been developed where it has saved us an immensely amount of time, immensely, immeasurably, the amount of time that it saved us. It has created more time gobble up than it has saved. We're each finite human beings and with finite energy and finite abilities. I'm sure, if you're in your early 20s, you probably don't feel that yet, but you will. And attempting to get through life with it, just this not having an infinite amount of time and the feeling the social pressure to do it all can just be overwhelming. It leaves us in a position where we just want to yell out, stop the world, I want to get off. Stop. We need rest, which is what we're going to talk about today. But, but the truth is we probably need to rest differently. And so today I want to go to, to God's word and look at a couple of, of things of biblical rest. What is biblical rest? I could give you kind of a pop psychology kind of thing and everybody would leave going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that wouldn't out ultimately transform your life, which is what we, that's why we're here. That's why you're here. Otherwise, there, there is the top 10 ways to rest lists. There's probably at least 100 top 10 lists on the internet and your search that'll kind of give you good practical advice. But we want to go to God's word because there's something inherently um, transforming there. And so the first area I want to talk about is rest and what I call, this is my terminology, an Elijah day. As a matter of fact, this concept I'm about to share with you is what I shared with David and Cindy over and over and over again trying to encourage them to take a sabbatical. I'm a huge fan. I, am, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am that they're not here. <laughs> and it's not just because I get opportunity to speak, which I love, but I think it's to, actually to your benefit. So let me, let me kind of unpack this. Now, we're going to go through this quickly. The truth is I could do a whole series on, on rest itself, but I only have today, and you're probably not going to want to hear for the two hours I'd like to talk. So, are you ready? Strap yourself in. Uh, uh, let's start with this scene, okay? You can find this in 1 Kings 18. I'm not going to take the time to unwrap it all, but basically, 
Israel was doing really well, and then human nature, and it split. And the northern kingdom, uh, it, when it split, um, was led by really terrible kings. And one of these guys was Ahab. And he, uh, and all those before him, but he kind of got it down with science, abandoned God, and, was, and not only was encouraging people to worship Baal, but he was actually actively killing God's prophets. So he was the worst of the worst. And so in response to this, God used a prophet, somebody to speak about what's going to happen before it happened, named Elijah, and said, you know what, there's going to be no rain. And so for three years, there's been no rain. And then all of a sudden, God shows up to Elijah and says, time is done. Go tell Ahab, I'm about to make it rain and meet me on a hill. So he sends that message to Ahab. Ahab meets him up on a, on a hill, and he, and he gathers all of Israel as well. And at that point, Elijah just kind of gives the people a challenge. And he says, how long are you going to kind of go back and forth between two opinions? In other words, you're, you're both worshiping Baal, a false god, Asherah, and God. You, you need to choose. And the people are silent because they know what they're doing. Right? You don't need a preacher to tell you. We know what we're, what we're doing, that we try to play, you know, both ends, kind of, kind of a thing. And so he says, well, let's set up, let's just, let's just once and for all decide whose God is the real God. So he comes up with this challenge. The challenge is simple. There's going to be two offerings. An offering is, is something that, you, that costs you, that you offer to God. In this case, it's a bull, which is very, very expensive. All right? So Elijah has a bull, it's, and, and the false prophets do, and they're up first. So they cut it up, they put it on the altar. Now the whole idea is this, you burn an offering. So you're supposed to pray to your God, and the God is supposed to send down something to make it burn, right? Which seems a little ridiculous, but that's the challenge. And so uh, there's been a drought, so they get all this dry wood that's easy to find, they put their the offering on it, and they pray, and they dance around, and they cut them. So they do all kinds of weird stuff. It's kind of a funny scene. You need, you need to read it because Elijah is actually teasing them. Maybe your God's asleep. You know, maybe he took a vacation, whatever it may be, and nothing happens. They do this all day, and then finally Elijah says, okay, enough. Let me take a shot at it. But before I go, Elijah says, let's make this more interesting. So in a drought, somehow he gets enough water to douse the offering with water, and there's like a, a huge trough all the way around he has dug, and it is filled up. So it's a ton of water. Now remember, they took hours and hours dancing and praying and all kinds of chants, nothing. And then Elijah simply goes before the people, looks up to God and says, this is my word, it's not Elijah's. God, we know that you're it, and he's not. Can we just show him? Okay, now that's a summary. <laughs> and then out of the blue, Bang, fire. And not only does a fire consume it like a regular burn, it's so hot it even consumes the rocks that the altar was on. It's that kind of hot. Well, obviously the people like we're only left with one choice here. God is the God. And so they actually get rid of all the uh, false prophets. And then Elijah tells uh, the king Ahab, you better get out of here because it's about to rain torrentially. And so while he takes off and the people all leave, he goes up, does another prayer, and sure enough, rain comes. And then God supernaturally en enables Elijah to run so fast that he not only catches up with Ahab, but he passes him. Okay, now that's when we pick up in chapter 19. That's a summary, all right? So chapter 19, we find the challenge, the challenge from 1 Kings 19, 1 through 2. Here's, here's the challenge that, 
that comes. It says, 1 Kings 19, 1 and 2, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, now Jezebel, by the way, she was from a foreign country, and that's, where they, that's who they worship with this false prophet, Baal. She was the main instigator here. Ahab's just a puppet, okay? She's really the one in charge, which, you know, is usually true. Um, anyhow, she's the one that's really in charge. And so he tells her, and so it says in verse 2, so Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, of course her gods, ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And sends this message out. Now, remember, this is right after Elijah's huge success. This challenge comes. And basically, it's that Jezebel wants him dead. Now, Ahab's kind of toothless. But Jezebel is not. Jezebel is the one who's led the campaign against killing all the other prophets. And basically, what has happened so far is what Jezebel wants, Jezebel gets. That's a huge challenge. Now, now, there's a response here from Elijah to this challenge in, in the next couple verses, right? It says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servants there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the tree, and he fell asleep. So Elijah's response here, when he hears this, is fear. Now, you got to understand, if, you're, if, if you had time to really read the story, you got to go, what? Because God has supernaturally provided for Elijah during a drought for three years. Uh, providing food, and then, a, and, then a, and then a widow and her son were actually provided uh, for him as well. And then, and then he... He faces off against the king who wants him dead. And then he faces off against all these prophets all by himself. And his God does this great miracle. And yet when he hears that Jezebel wants him, he is fearful. And his response isn't just fear. His response is, forget it, I'm done. I'm overwhelmed. I can't do it anymore. Sound familiar? And just to show you just, just this state of mind, all he can do is he just falls asleep underneath this tree. Now, you would think, if you've been around church long enough, right, you would think that when God responds, God's going to show up. And he's going he's gonna to do, by the way, what I would be tempted to do. If you'd come into my pastoral office and you told me this story, my first reaction would be, are you an idiot? Look at what God just did. And you're fr but I want you to notice what, what the solution is from God's perspective out of 1 Kings 19, 5 and 9. So back to verse 5. Then he lay down on the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he laid down again. The angel Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey's too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then this conversation. Now I want you to notice, again, that God's solution here isn't to confront or teach Elijah the truth of the situation at this point. That would have been my temptation. 
But rather his solution was eat, drink, sleep, repeat. Eat, drink, sleep, repeat. Now at the end of verse 9, God does address Elijah. They're going to have a conversation. God's going to say, you're not the only one. I'm still God. They're going to have that conversation. But God knows from the context here that he's not ready for that conversation in the throes. Before he has this conversation, the almighty God who understood how Elijah worked, how we work, he understood that Elijah's body and mind needed rest. And so we come to this idea of of what, what I refer to as an Elijah day. It's a time, a special time, a day of rest, a particular, after a particular busy or challenging season. So you planted a church and you've been running hard for years now. You know, maybe it's time to take a huge break and recharge and rest. Because we are, at, we are spiritually speaking now, okay? We just talked to the, those who are following Christ currently. You are at your most vulnerable time right after God does something amazing in your life. You would think that's when you're the strongest. But there is, there is a spiritual fatigue that goes along with, with physical and mental. Uh, as a matter of fact, most pastors, they're more likely to fall Sunday afternoon than any other time of the week. They're more likely to give in to whatever their inner demons may be because there's just this exhaustion and there's some, there's some wisdom in, in, you know, you spend a lot of a time moving. You spend a long time on a huge work project or on final exams or, or getting your kids back to school. Or uh, My wife and I often, especially when we had little ones, we try to come back at least one day early from vacation. Because you all know no matter how rest and relaxed you are on vacation, the day of travel is not. And so we wanted, we wanted a day to rest before we hit the ground running the next day. And Elijah Day is that special time. And, and you would be wise to build that in. But again, to me, there's some, a practical aspect to that. You are des- we are designed for rest. It's, it's practical. But biblical rest is, goes beyond that. So I just want to give you, again, we don't have time to go through the whole thing. But I just want to give you a precursory look at rest and the Sabbath. So the Bible uses this word Sabbath, and Sabbath is just literally that. It's a day of rest. They're interchangeable, okay? Now, for, for um, those of uh, the Hebrew scriptures, Jewish background, the Sabbath starts, days begin when the sun sets on one day until the sun set the next day. So the Sabbath was Friday night, sunset, till Saturday evening, sunset. That's the Sabbath time. And it's supposed to be a day of rest. So I want to look at quickly four things, okay? The, the source of the Sabbath, the practice of the Sabbath, the blessing of the Sabbath, and the heart of the Sabbath. All right? And again, I'm just going to touch on these. You can kind of do study. You always email me questions or whatever you have later on if they come up. So the source of the Sabbath rest comes from Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And remember, Chapters and verses weren't there when they originally wrote this. We put it in so we can find our way around. The first few verses say this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. In other words, God created just by the spoken word. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. 
And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now what we do know from the rest of scriptures is God didn't need to rest. He did not rest on the seventh day because he was exhausted. He rested on the seventh day as an example for those that he created that would need rest. You and me. God created us to rest amidst our work. Now, not majorly rest, not six days of rest and one day of work, but the opposite. But he definitely created us to rest, and he is the source. Now, let's talk about the practice. What is the practice of Sabbath rest? We can find that in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 is, as Moses is giving uh, the community, his people now, his rules, This is what he says for that particular community, okay? He says this in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day, that's from Friday night to Saturday, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. And remember, for most of the time, and definitely this time, they're an agricultural society, right? There's no one goes to the office, right? There's a few merchants, but for the most part, everybody is, is growing something or raising something. But on the seventh day, it is a Sabbath to your Lord, your God. On it, you should not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant nor maidservant, nor your animals, nor the aliens within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it's really simple. The, the, the practice is for six days, they worked. Now, granted, they only worked, by the way, from sunup to sundown because there wasn't, there wasn't electricity and all this other stuff that we got going on. And so there was a, there was a built-in rest in the, in the evening to the, to the uh, Jewish day. But then on the seventh day, they were to rest. God had set that apart. And, and the word, by the way, holy literally means set apart. In other words, this day should look different than every other day. Do not work on this day. And, and I, won't, I won't go into detail, but not only do they do that every, every six days and then rest on the seventh, in, um, God also had that do that with their land. They were to work their land for six years, and on the seventh year, let it rest. In Israel today, if you're a teacher, you teach for six years, and you get the seventh year off. Yeah, it's a great place to work. Now, they stagger it, so there's always a teacher there. But this is part of their culture, part of their culture. And it's been unique for most of the time. Now, granted, we got the weekend now, but that's actually a pretty modern idea. But this day of rest has been a a unique aspect of God's people for centuries and centuries. That's the practice of Sabbath rest. So let's talk about the blessing of Sabbath. There's a blessing inherent in that. In Isaiah 58, it says this, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then, that's the if then, you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And again, there's a pattern here. There's an if then. And the, 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 the promise to God's people is if you do this, then I have a blessing for you. 
Now, I, I don't have time to go into this, but I will say that we're in a time, if you look at God's overall story, there's a season where God calls his people, and his major point is this. You can't earn your own way to me. Okay? And so in that season where he's making that point in history, there's a lot of this, if you do this, I will bless you. And you would think that we would be smart enough. You would think I'd be smart enough to know if I eat lots of fruits and vegetables and stay away from, in my case, it's breads, it's not sweets, right? I'd be in better shape. And by the way, I know that. (laughs) But obviously it hasn't worked. And so that's what this thing is, is God's doing the if then. And, And what it shows us is our need for a savior. But it's still true. If you keep the the day Sabbath, notice what what the result is. I will give you joy. But it's not joy like in in just personal happiness. He actually says, right, I will give you joy in the Lord. It's a relational joy. The fruit of a Sabbath is a better connection with the God who created you. Now, the second benefit he'll talk about is that you will prosper. There's a provisional. You will will thrive. But you will thrive, by the way, because of the Lord's blessing, not because of something that you did. It's because of something he has done. That's the promised blessing, which leads us to the last part of the Sabbath rest, the heart of Sabbath rest. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12 says this, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Now, what's interesting there is you would think that he'd say, I gave them my Sabbath so that they could recharge. That's actually what I thought it would say. Or I gave, them, I gave them my Sabbath as a test, maybe. But what he actually says is, I gave my Sabbath um, so that they may know something, so they may have an experience. And the experience is that I will sanctify them. Sanctifying is, is, is to make holy, is to make clean, is, is, is it's, it's Kind of like when you, when you uh, did something wrong as a kid and you got a consequence. But once the consequence was over, you're good with mom and dad again. You're sanctified. And what God is saying is, is that I gave you my Sabbath so that you would experience rightness with me. That is the heart of Sabbath. It's a sign that we are his people. It's not just about physical and mental rest, though that's part of it. It's a sign that we are his people. It's a sign that we trust that God will provide. And ultimately, the Sabbath is about faith. Let me just go to the land one, because I think that's the, the clearest one, right? If you, let your, if you don't work your land for a year, how do you feed your family? You are trusting that God's going to provide in six years enough to provide on the seventh year. That's that's faith. That's exactly what faith is. The whole idea of a Sabbath is, is saying, you know what, God, I believe that you can do more in my life in six days than I can do in seven. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust. Now, that's a part of what it means to follow Jesus is faith. As a matter of fact, I, I would say that's about the wholeness of it. What I'm not saying is if you keep the Sabbath, you're saved. In other words, you're good with God just by keeping the Sabbath. But I am saying that if you, by faith, follow Jesus, Sabbath will naturally be part of it. So let's talk really quickly as we kind of tie this up. I know this has just been like a fire hydrant. I get it. 
But let's just talk about the nature of God's rest. Meaning, in other words, what are the inherent features and the characteristics of God's rest? If you truly want to recharge, well, obviously there's the physical nature of God's rest. We were created to rest. That was, that was Jesus' point, right? When the, they're trying to make a big deal about him healing on the Sabbath, right? They, we try to make things religious. Jesus would not be put in that box. And he reminded them in Mark 2, 27, he said, the Sabbath was made for us. We weren't made for the Sabbath. In other words, God didn't come up with this holy rule and say, I want to make people to obey this rule. What he did is he made people, he said, you know what? These people need something to thrive. And what they need is a day of rest, a biblical rest. And by the way, science agrees with this, right? According to the American Psychological Association, mentally disengaging from work, not ruminating about work, not taking phone calls or checking emails is strongly related to indicators of well-being, those indicators include greater job and life satisfaction, less reported stress and burnout, fewer sleep problems, and general health complaints like back pain and headaches. Can you imagine science agreeing with what God's word says? And when the two disagree, either need to wait or we need to go back and say, did we get God's word right? We, our family, let me kind of put, kind of put, flesh on this a little bit. So uh, my wife and I are both country folk. You can tell by the cowboy boots. All right. And uh, she grew up in Oklahoma. We have a family farm actually in Oklahoma. Her whole family is there. She's the black sheep of the family. She's the one who moved out and ventured out to California. But everybody else is there. Every summer we have taken our, our we have four adopted kids. They're now between 20 and 23. But um, when they were really young, every summer, we would go for anywhere to four to 12 weeks. To, I mean, they would. I had to come back and work. But uh, we would go to Oklahoma. And it was a great time. But it was, it was you could tell it was, a, it was a special time, especially in their early and uh, teen years. And the reason is, as you can well imagine, they had started doing the Bay Area thing. They were later than everybody else with phone and technology. But... They would either do it on their friend's phone or eventually they got their own. But when we got to the farm in Oklahoma, guess what? We have no Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I took my sabbatical two years ago on the farm, and no one can get a hold of me. <laughs> and Mama uh, did ha get, uh, have a TV, um, but there's three channels that come over the digital air, and they were usually on either news or a game show. So now you would think that they would whine and complain, but the interesting thing is they didn't because they knew there was no other option. As a matter of fact, they often would say how wonderful it was. It was truly rest. Now, they never had the self-discipline when we got back home to do that, to kind of maintain that, but they understood there was something different about that rhythm, and they looked forward to it. That's the physical nature of God's rest. There's something different. And I, and I do think that, that we got to be careful that the day of rest isn't just replaced with another kind of work. It's like, well, I work for pay on these days, so I take a day of rest, which means I got this whole to-do list at home. Now, I'm also not saying you can't vacuum on your day of rest, okay? I am saying, but there's a balance. There should be an otherness about that day. There should be an otherness about that day. Which leads me to my last point, or the last thing. There's a spiritual nature of God's rest that goes beyond 
the practical. You will not find this online unless somebody's pointing to God's word. In that, in that the spiritual nature of God's rest is that it's an issue of faith. First of all, it's the issue of faith of saying, God, I love and trust you so much. I believe that if I take time off, you will bless and you'll make up the difference plus. And that that was the conversation again that I was having with David and Cindy. I said, this is a a great opportunity for you because what you're basically saying is God has used you guys tremendously in this church. But he didn't need you. And I know, and they would shake their heads yes, and I know they, they, they believe that. But I said, but you want to know whether you really believe it? Leave it for a while. That's a whole other level. That's a whole other level. You can only do that if you trust God. If you trust God. And then within that nature of faith, we're creating space for God that isn't there on other days. And that was basically the conflict with them and Jesus. They, you know, they were saying, Jesus, you're working, right? You healed people on the Sabbath. And, and, and Jesus was like, you're, you're getting it wrong. You're trying to make a religion out of it now. Or you can't do nothing, right? And he says, that was never God's intention. God's intention was there's a day where your eyes get off of the soil, your eyes get off of all the details, and it gets on to my kind of things. So, yes, there's body rest, but there's also soul rest. So you gather together. On your day of rest. And by the way, this day doesn't have to be Friday to Saturday or Sunday. It can be any day. But there's, there's one day where you where we get our eyes and we get into, in a community, whether it's among uh, fellow Christian believers or maybe it's in our neighborhood, being a light to our neighbors. Getting to, getting, you know, saying, you know, I have an hour every day. I'm just going to say, God, I'm going to walk around my neighborhood with eyes to see who I can see to create new relationships. I'm giving you that hour every whatever Sabbath day you have. Well, what's good for your body, and that's great. And then you have an opportunity to invite them to, invite them to explore God maybe later. You never know what God's going to do. But it's a sacred space that comes from faith. And that Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what sets us apart. That's when you get to see the hand of God. See, if, you're, if, you're, if you don't know Jesus yet, but you're just looking for something more, you need something more than here are the top ten reasons why you should rest. Because that's out there. But all the people who are, doing, who are writing that stuff, all the people who are practicing, you know. By the way, there's also the top ten reasons why you should stay busy. Right? There's both sides. <laughs> Wherever, wherever you can, you know, spend your money, they'll tell you. But the end, the end of that is still kind of the grind, whatever the grind may be. But spiritually, God is calling us to something where he says, I will take you, I will do in your life, I will connect with you in a way, and I will do in your life what you can't imagine that goes way beyond anything you could do yourself. And it's rich. And it is a life that Jesus says is abundant life. Pray with me. Father God, I think it's Proverbs that says where there's many words, there's much folly. And so I apologize, dear God, there's too many words. But I do pray, dear Lord, that if there's a truth, dear God, if if there's a life-giving truth that, that you want each person in this room to know, understand, and feel from you, that they, that may happen. Will you stir that in their mind, in their soul, 
and give them, give them the strength, dear God, to take that step of faith, to begin to trust you, to begin to recharge. Father, you know we don't have enough time, but you also know, God, that every bit that we give you, you can do more with than we can. So I pray that you instill that in our hearts, our minds, and our souls. In the name of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen and amen.